Kia what's up everyone? I'm Jonathan, and you're tuned in to the Honest Theology Podcast, where the aim here is to have open and honest theological conversations about lots of different things. This is Season 3, Who, What, When, Where, Why is the Church? For each episode, the guest and I are going to delve into the point and purpose of the church. I have seven different guests with seven different experiences and seven different perspectives. No, wait, check that. Eight. Eight different guests with eight different experiences and eight different perspectives over seven episodes. And we'll just talk about the theology of the church and our mission. Honestly, there's not much more to it than that. So let's go. Hey there. Welcome back to the Honest Theology Podcast. This is episode one of season three, Who, What, When, Where, Why is the Church? Exploring Perspectives in Ecclesiology and Mission, or The Point and Purpose of Being a Christian. And today, my guest, I'm a huge fan of, I'm very excited to have on the show because his ministry is really confronting and eye-opening and convicting and inspiring. And so I'm really interested in what he has to say to these questions about the church today. He's a writer and a poet, a youth worker, an advocate, primarily working with um, our most vulnerable young people, homeless uh, youth in Auckland. Um, I consider him to be a prophet for the church today here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, but also for the wider church around the globe, which I guess is kind of showing my hand a little bit before we even get started about my ecclesiology. But friends, without any further ado, welcome to the show, Aaron A.J. Hendry. How are you, man? Hey, kia ora. Hey, thanks for having me, bro. Um, yeah, welcome. I'm, I'm super glad to have you on. Um, why don't you just, uh, take a minute to have a couple of minutes to introduce yourself, um, uh, and, and, uh, and summarize a bit of your faith journey to this point. Yeah, yeah, sure. So yeah, I'm called Aaron Hendry Toko Ingoa. Um, I'm Tangata Tereti. I, um, yeah, I've grown up sort of in West, West Auckland. So Tamaki is my home. Um, currently living in West Harbour, um, but my heart's a messy and I'm West Auckland out here. Um, yeah, and, and a little bit about my faith journey. Well, before that, yeah, I guess I grew up in, um, yeah, kind of uh, a very conservative sort of Christian faith context. Um, and, you know, I guess we'll, we'll probably talk a bit about it as we get into the conversation. But, you know, I guess one of the things that I got from that context was was a real heart and, and an understanding of love, you know, an understanding of, you know, that, that God is love and what does that mean in our real lives. And as I followed that track, it's kind of led me to where I am today. Um, and so, yeah, I grew up grew up in, yeah, what was quite a large Pentecostal um, church uh, context. And, mm. you know, through that um I guess started to sense that maybe there was something a bit more to faith than what I was seeing in front of me. And alongside that, I guess I began to get into youth work and start to go down this journey of really, um, I guess, having my eyes open to the reality of uh, of what it's like for whānau who are living on the margins of our societies. And those two things sitting together, um, faith and, and sort of what I've been taught about faith kind of rubbed against the reality of people's lives and, and what it meant. And so that big question of who is God in the context of the world that we live in and suffering and, and, and the, the challenges that come into that. So 
that's something I'm sure we'll, we'll get into. But um, yeah. like at the moment, I'm I've, I guess to show a bit of how my my faith faith has grown. I'm, I'm now uh, living in an intentional community, still very connected to my local church. Um, I live with you know another couple. My wife, I've got three kids, and you know we're, we're we've come together to try to imagine what it is to be church, to live church, and maybe a mm. more in a different way, in a way that's uh, I guess more authentic to, to the way that we view. Um, you know, this whole story that we're a part of. Um, and part of what we're doing is creating space for young people that experience homelessness to, to have a safe place to live within community to prevent mm. uh, that experience from becoming far more damaging and harmful to them. So, you know, that's a, t- that's a tiny bit. Um, tiny bit about me, but we'll we'll get into a lot more of it, I'm sure, as we go. That's awesome. Yeah, cool. Um, so I just got a couple more questions for you. If you don't mind, I'd like to ask each guest, uh, some random questions to help our listeners get to know them in a different, just in a little slightly different way. So, um, you ready for this? Let's go. Let's do cool. it. So you are you are a, um, you're a poet and a writer. Who are some of your biggest influences? Oh, um, yeah, good question. Um, probably one of a couple of the writers that have been uh, probably the most influential for me. Um, would be Naimatik is one. Naimatik is a Palestinian theologian, a liberation theologian. Okay. Um, and something I learned from him is he has this really core idea that, you know, love is the way. It's something I talk about a lot in my writing. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, really core to his belief is that in our advocacy, in our, in, our, in our fight for a better world, that we don't dehumanize those who are causing harm in the world. Um, and he really modeled a way of interacting that said, yes, we need to speak um, truth. We need to stand up against the justice and oppression. But we shouldn't mistake that those who are causing harm in the world are themselves, you know, evil and corrupt. We need to look at those people and see the divine within them as well. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, Namatik has been a huge influence in my writing. Um, James Cone is another black liberation mm. theologian. I'm mm-hmm. um, kind of on the other side of that, you know, a real strong call for justice um, mm-hmm. and liberation and love and envisioning what it means to really, you know, um, really acknowledge the reality of the cross in, in our world in the midst of suffering. Um, yeah, and then uh, I guess you, you might be seeing a theme, but another is uh, Martin Luther King. Uh, you know, his writings have always inspired me and, and filled me with a lot of hope. Um, totally. For yeah. the future, as well as being extremely challenging. So, yeah, those That's are a good. few of my my inspirations. In terms of poetry, Michael, Michael Bourne um, is someone that really, uh, you know, uh, a, a living prophet, I think, with his work as well, if you haven't cool. heard yeah, of no, him. Yeah, no, I'm not too familiar, yeah. Yeah, he's he's amazing. One of my favorite poems, I think, for him is uh, Humming Faults. It's a real beautiful image um, and story around who we can be. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. All right. Um, what sort of music are you into at the moment? Oh, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, uh, I love just music in general, so I probably have quite a wide, wide-ranging taste. But my my favorite uh, is Twenty One Pilots. Probably, okay, I really yeah. like the way that they are able to really speak to. I guess you know a lot of it's around mental health and some realities that people yeah. are going through, and just the honesty in that music. Yes, yeah, I'm a big fan. Nice, cool. Um, okay, pineapple on pizza. Yeah or nah? Oh, of course, mate. You know you can't go wrong with pineapple on pizza. You have to. <laughs> I mean, pineapple Excellent. on anything, right? Pineapple is just good. Man. I mean, I love pineapple. That's probably my favorite fruit, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, cool. And finally, um, what's one meaningful memory, good or bad, you have from being in a church community, and how has that helped shape who you are and what you do now? Mm. Yeah, that's... Um 
you, you, you pose that like a small question, but I think that's a big question. <laughs> that's a big uh, question, yeah. A, a meaningful memory. Um, yeah, like I was thinking about this question, I've probably got like, I think we've all got a lot of memories and they sort of all kind of go into each other. But, you know, thinking about what, what is a memory that's really shaped me. Um, I, I said that I grew up in a context which um, was quite a large Pentecostal context, you know, um, within that context, uh, prosperity doctrine was big and wealth and affluence. And, you know, that was a big marker of the community that I was a part of. And yet I grew up in an environment where, you know, my family were experiencing poverty and, you know, we're going through some pretty hard stuff. And, you know, we'd come into this church where, you know, we're surrounded by wealth and, and basically being told, you know, if you believe enough, you have enough faith that, you know, you're going to get all this, you know, this is, this is the fruit of being faithful to God. Yeah. Um, and as I grew in my own journey and my own faith, I guess I started to sense that maybe something wasn't quite right about that. Um, and there is, you know, there's this, there was this moment, I guess, in my journey where I remember just sitting in church and, you know, the pastor was going, you know, talking about, you know, I guess how God was on the mountain and, you know, if we had faith that we could achieve this and we could get that. And, and I remember just thinking, nah, like for me, my God's in the gutter, you know. My God is with those who are suffering, who are oppressed, who are who are broken. You know, my God is wearing the scars of, um, you know, wearing the scars of the cost of love, you know. Mm. And, and I think that moment really clarified things for me. It was, you know, it wasn't a moment. It was a moment that that came with a lot of reflection and journey that came before that. But but I often mm. think of that and, and it has shaped, I guess, my view of church as I've gone forward, and also, you know, my my view of this faith, and I think it's had a huge impact on, you know, who I am now and and what mm. I do. Um, you know that 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 experience. Wow, that's that's really powerful. Cool, man. So, all right, let's jump into this conversation then, and your interpretation. Uh, with that in mind, who, what, when, where, why is the church? Should we start with who? Who is the church for you? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, great, great question. I mean, you know, when I think about the church, you know, I think essentially it's 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 us. It's the people. It's the community that says, you know, this, this story, um, the story of of you know, God coming to earth of the divine and human flesh of God's kingdom becoming now within our reality. Mm. It's a story of a community that name that and say, we're going to live out of this story. We're going to live out of this reality. Um, we're going to live as if it was really true that Jesus was Lord um, and, and see what happens. You know, I think that's the, that's, that's the who for me. And, and I think we sometimes get really caught in, you know, because the reality is, you know, church and, and one way of framing it is an institution, it's an organization. But I think essentially, you know, at its core, the church is us. The mm. institution is how we decide to organize ourselves. But we, the people, we are the church. And so how does that look really depends upon us. Yeah, that's that's good. I mean, that might, um, that kind of, I think all these, all of the, other elements of the question, who, what, when, where, and why are going to be intertwined, of mm. course, but like we might be speaking a bit to the what we're talking about, mm. you know, how we look or whatever, but, um, or how we organize ourselves. But, you know, you say it's, 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 it's who we are. It's, it's, um, but is that we obviously, from, from your previous story, you're talking about, um, you know, being a part of a church 
where the ethos and the, the, the preaching there, the, the prosperity gospel wasn't really what you connected with. And so is that the same? Are we part of the same church? Mm. Like, are we just forming, are we, are we different churches mm. with different, um, you know, different ideas of Jesus or different, um, different um, relationships with Jesus? Mm. And or how do you see that? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a real good question, and it's it's something I think we all wrestle with. Um, you know, because in some places I look at my faith now, and I and I look at you know others who maybe where I've come from, I'm like, man, is it the same faith? You know, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and yet there is something deeper beneath that that I think we hold on to. Um, I often like to think of, um, you know, that, that I, I do love that metaphor of a body, right, of, mm. of the diversity and, and the difference, and, and and also that sometimes I guess even though there's such diversity within this group of people that call themselves the church, in some sense, we're connected to one another and we belong to one another. And yeah. even though there is diversity, even though there's things that we we maybe vehemently disagree with, that there is still there is still opportunity for unity. And I think that common story of, of Christ and, 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 you know, the kingdom of God and the story of, you know, Christ become flesh, you know, obviously we wrestle with that and we interpret that in different ways. But at the end of the day, um, those that community that I came from, you know, I'm still connected to in some mm. way. You know, we're still connected to one another. You know, the good and the bad, the ugly and the and the beautiful. Um, and, and I guess that kind of comes to my sort of belief that actually as human beings, we're all connected. As human beings, we're essentially, that's where we start. You know, we're mm. all created in the image of God. We're all created in the image of the divine. And so even if there is that difference, there is still that commonality that is really important to hold on to. Sure, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's pretty good. That's kind of like, kind of touches on, on the what. Like we believers make up the who, but what that looks like um, can be different. So, what like for you, what is what does the church look like? What is the church? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, again, that's a question of like what, <laughs> what, <laughs> what is it, and what could it be? Um, yeah, well, this, talking, yeah, and this just, is and, the, yeah. and this is where like I guess that diversity comes in. You know, like there are so many different expressions of the way that church is being lived, and I think the what is really a big it's a decision for all of us, you know, as a community of people, we get to make that decision. What mm. does the church look like? How do we choose to organize it? You know, just because we've done things a certain way for hundreds of years, does that mean that that is the way it should be done today? Mm. Is, that, is that the best expression of the story that we're trying to live out of? Is, is that the best way to live? Um, you know, I think, you know, the terms of what, you know, in, in some cases, the what is that the church, one way of answering that question is that the church is an institution that, upholds the status quo that has been, you know, a part of, um, you know, causing harm throughout history and, you know, mm. upholding white supremacy and misogyny and homophobia, you know, like mm. that is a what, right? And that is a mm. reality and it's it's really important. And this is why I think it's important to still name that that is part of our history, you know, that the reality is the church as an institution has caused harm across the world and here mm. locally in Aotearoa. Um, that institution continues to call harm. You know, when I think about our, our rainbow whānau and the harm that is still being done uh, in that space where I think about, mm. you know, the ways which the institution can and does uphold the status quo, there is a reality there that is important to wrestle with. Um, but there's also a reality 
that, you know, there's always two sides, right? There's always, you know, a shadow, uh, uh, something on the margins, that prophetic core beneath mm. institutions. Um, there is also an opportunity for the church to be so much more than that, to be a community of people that, I guess, envision themselves as the alternative community. And and what I mean by that is, you know, when I, when I look at the the story of the church, you know, within the, within the scriptures, we see this, this community that envisions themselves as the alternative community within the heart of the empire. Mm-hmm. You know, they recognize that actually, you know, they're part of a system that is oppressive and harmful and is causing so much harm. And they also recognize that the way to overcome that empire is not to pick up the sword, but is to become something else. And we mm-hmm. see this alternative community, this this community that says, no, Jesus is Lord. And, and, and foundationally, what that means is that love is the way. And that's that's the core to our faith. And they start to heal the sick. They start to, you know, bring in the poor. They start to share what they have. They start to organize themselves in a way that is completely alternative to the empire that they are within. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the opportunity for the church, you know, to become that alternative community, to start to envision um, to envision what it means to live as if Jesus really was Lord, to live mm. as if the divine dream or the kingdom of God was coming to the earth um, as it is in heaven. You know, yeah. I think that is that is the opportunity. Um, and I think we see that breaking out in, in little moments and little bits within our communities all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's interesting to think about, isn't it? It's an interesting point you make. Um, and to think about like the shaping of the church and, in history, like um, I think, I think one of the I think we people people inherently sort of want to be organized, want to have some structure, or whatever. Um, so in some ways, I think it's like inevitable that the church would become structured, um, you know, entities, uh, institutions throughout the ages. Um, it's just kind of how we tend to build something. How, if somebody wants something to succeed, you know, it has to have sort of the structure. But I think what's beautiful about Jesus is that, you know, if we're reading the scriptures, we're constantly reminding ourselves that he he broke into an existing structure, religious structure, um, and 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 sort of course corrected everyone, saying. You know, not everything you're doing is wrong. Not everything you're doing is what 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 God wants. You know, um, and let's refocus on who Jesus is, because who Jesus is is, is who the church should be, right? Um, and so I think inevitably we're going to keep keep finding ways to you know gravitate towards the people that we see eye to eye with, or um, run the church the way that seems natural, whatever, for structure. Um, But we need to always kind of keep coming back and challenging that. Like, are we, we're an alternative, what did you say? An alternative? um, Alternative community in the heart of the empire. Yeah, an alternative community in the heart of the empire. I think we had to remind ourselves that we also need to be alternative communities within ourselves. Like, yeah, because we become an empire. Like, um, so, yeah. I think that's a, a, a real important question for all of us is to ask in what ways has our institutions been co-opted by the empire? You know, yeah. are, are we are we upholding the status quo or are we being that alternative? You know, yeah. Um, you know, because at some point, sometime, like that's what I'm saying. At some point, the alternative yeah. will become the status quo. Yeah, um, that's and right. then and then and then like 
is that is that the end? Is that you know to what end? Or do we we need to keep reforming it? You know, I think that's yeah. it's one of the beauties of the Reformation is that it was like a hey, we're, we're static here. We need to reform what we're doing. And I think from within the the Presbyterian tradition, at least, like here, um, one of our one of our um, one of our sayings here in uh, the Presbyterian Church of Aotearoa, New Zealand, is that we are reformed and always reforming, so that we continue to think, um, you know, how is the Spirit moving today? That was, yeah, you know, so that we're not just doing the same thing all the time. Yeah, and, and I think how we tell the story is really important in the story of the gospel, but the story of you know Christ and the incarnation. Um, and I think that's a that's a grounding thing for us. You know, one of the things that I've been very interested over the last sort of five or so years is exploring again that story of Christ come to earth, you know. Um, and, you know, we talk a lot about the cross and that's important, but I think the story has to start at the cradle. And, yeah. you know, how do we become people of the cradle? And what is that story? You know, when we look at that, we see that the divine chooses to become, you know, a weak baby. But who was that baby? That baby was uh, a Jew who was marginalized and colonized, whose, whose family um, would have been incredibly impoverished, who was a part of a community of people, a group of people, who in their own land were, were being... Um, robbed and cheated and just completely um, pushed to the margins of society. Mm. And that is who Jesus became. You know, that is who God became. That is who, you know, God could have become any human being, but he Mm. became this poor marginalized Jew. And and for me, that speaks of a God who is not just for the poor, but is, but is one of them, Mm. you know, that Christ became the poor. Christ became the oppressed. Mm. Um, I think when we center ourselves on that reality, on that story, and that starts us. That starts to raise some questions around what it means for us to then be the church. Because if this is who Christ is, you know, if this is who Jesus chose to, when 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 God came to earth and decided to dwell amongst us, mm. this is where He laid His feet. You know, this is where He stood. Then where does the church stand, and mm. where should the church stand in response to that? Yeah, but carry on from that thought, though. So okay, so where, where is one of our yeah. questions? Where where should the church? Be yeah, you know, yeah, and and I think that's you know once again we follow that story through, and, and where does Jesus continue to stand? Where do you find you know where do you find Jesus um, throughout the stories? He's mm-hmm. he's on the margins of society. He's with those who have been abandoned. He's with those who are oppressed. He's with those who are hurting, and and through that he's always offering a different way. He's 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 calling for liberation and he's calling for justice. And yet he's doing so in a way which is bringing healing and wholeness and, and providing a new vision for what it means for us to be community and to be human. Mm. Um, and so, you know, again, like I think that is that is the challenge. The poor is not a side project for the church, I do not believe. Mm. I think that is where we're called to stand. That's, that's who we're called to be amongst and to be with. And, and not as something that we're here to, look, we're the, you know, the rich white people coming to help you out, you know. Um, but actually... Is, is stepping into solidarity with those who suffer, stepping into solidarity that with those who have been marginalised and structurally marginalised within our society mm. to the point that we are standing so close to one another that we, you know, uh, their struggles are ours and our struggles are theirs. You know, there is no mm. them and us anymore. It's just us. Mm. I think that's a really important thing for us to wrestle with. Yeah, totally. Hey, what do you, um, what do you make of the, um, uh, I can't, I don't have a picture perfect scripture brain like some pastors probably do, but um, what do you think of, of Jesus's comment 
when he says, you know, um, you will always have the poor among you. Mm. Um, but now I need like focus on me. I need, I need you now. Like, um, yeah. what do you, what do you make of that? Have you spent some time yeah. dwelling with that? Yeah, no, it's it's one that's all, all brought up a lot, especially in the context of my work in response mm-hmm. to it. Um, you know, because, you know, I, like I, I'm a believer that, you know, poverty is a reality of decisions that we make within our communities, within our societies, and that it's not actually inevitable. Um, that scripture harks back, and I can't remember exactly where you'd find it in the Old Testament, um, I think it's Deuteronomy, um, which is talking about how to organize your society in a way that cares for the poor, and, and the vulnerable. And I think one of the first verses it says is, um, you know, there should be no poor amongst you. Um, but then there's this acknowledgement that once again, as human beings, you know, greed and um, because of our, I guess, inherent selfishness in some ways, you know, we create systems and structures that allow poverty to exist. Mm. And, you know, I think, you know, when you follow the logic of, of you know, in the, within the Old Testament, within the Scripture, you kind of see that actually there shouldn't be poverty. There shouldn't be the poor. But there is a reality that there is. And if there are poor, then we should care for them and we should love them and we should look after them. Mm. Um, and so I kind of see Jesus harking back to that. But when we look at, um, you know, Jesus' mission and his journey, you know, he's, he's constantly you know, living amongst the poor. He is the poor, you know, he's Hmm. not someone who's wealthy. He's calling people away from um, stability often uh, in the majority of the time. Uh, The scripture that I see, I think that speaks most to to us, the Western church, and specifically to Pākehā, is is the story of the rich young ruler. We get caught up a lot in this conversation of, oh, how much should I give away? You know, I don't want to give this much. You know, like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What I see in that story, and if we if we took at the context of that, you know, the rich young ruler, you know, he would have been a wealthy Jewish Jewish man. Um, one of the realities that was happening within the context at the time is that those who had wealth really were had it because they had, um, you know, they were working with the Roman Empire. Um, they were, you know, benefiting from some really oppressive taxation systems um, that were really just funneling wealth out of you know the common people. Mm. Um, and so a lot of the power and the privilege that they held came as a result of them upholding the status quo um, of, you know, I guess theft and, and stealing um, wealth and land from, from the poor. Um, and so this rich young man comes to Jesus and says, how can I inherit eternal life? How can I come into the kingdom of God? How can I join you? Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, sell what you have and give to the poor. And I think what Jesus is saying there and the challenge for us in the church and specifically the Pākehā church is it's about giving up your power and your privilege, stepping over the line and coming and joining in solidarity with me. You know, Christ is like, I'm here. I'm here with those who have been marginalized because of the choices that you and your family have made. Mm. And I'm asking you, I'm challenging you, give that up that power, give up that privilege, cross over the line and join me in solidarity with those who suffer. And I think that is the challenge for the Western church and predominantly the Pākehā church is, mm. is how we, it's not about how much money do I have to give away or do I, you know, need to be living on the street to follow Jesus. It's about actually what power and privilege do you hold and how do you lay that down to step mm. into solidarity with Christ? Yeah. Which I think wants me to ask, to maybe delve into a little bit more with you now, excuse me, is... um. When? When is the church being the church? When 
when are we, um, and you know, especially in, in your opinion, um, when are we, when are, when are we doing what, what Christ has asked us to do? Is it on a Sunday morning when we gather? Is it, I mean, for you, when, when is the church functioning as the calling of the body of Christ? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think again, like when, like the church is again, it's us, it's a community of people and that's, that's always a reality. Um, I think your your second question around when are we actually functioning out of I guess this this calling that we've inherited? Yeah, I, I don't necessarily think it is always the Sunday morning. You know, maybe mm. it is, but but I don't. I think sometimes again we can get stuck in this idea that church is what happens on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 in my view, like Sunday morning is a time where maybe we come together and we encourage one another and we get connected. But church is how we're living every single day, and how are we living in a way that invites the alternative you know, the divine dream into our midst. You know, I think it's one of the roles of those who, of the people of God is to say, look, this is where the divine dream is breaking into our reality. This is where love is winning. This is where the world is being made right mm. and, and partnering with what God is already doing there. You know, I often think, you know, my, like I said before, you know, my God is in the gutter. You know, where I, where I experience God is out on the street. It's with the homeless kid who's got nowhere to lay his head. It's with the family that have been traumatized because of, you know, something that's happened just recently. It's it's yeah. with those who are suffering and struggling. And when the community um, of God, when those who actually, you know, live out of a story, join God in that, then I think we're really living out of our calling. Um, in some ways, you know, in my work, I, I work with a lot of people with diverse, you know, um, you know, some of them have faith, some of them don't, um, but they share this value of service and love for those who have been marginalized. And sometimes I see that. And I'm like, man, this is this is what we are called to be. You know, mm. Um, mm. this people, this community, call that that form around this shared mission, this shared message of of loving those who are most marginalized, of loving those who are on the on the on the margins of our society, who are willing to give up everything to be there in those moments. I think that's that is really special. And I think when we step into that, um, we step into a space uh, where God is. Mm. Why? Why do we, why is that? Why, why, why do we do that? <laughs> why, would, why would people want to do that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's all we've been saying, right? Um, the, the why is that this is, this is what Christ has called us into, you know. Um, this is, when, when I think again, I, I talk about, like I said, I talk about the divine dream, you know, that the world may write. And, and we, t- we, we look at the story of Jesus and, and he's not saying that, you know, when, when he constantly says, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, he, he talks about the kingdom of God becoming reality in our midst. He doesn't say it's something far off, you know. He says, it's here, it's amongst you, it's now. And he calls that into being. And, and, and the church in many ways is an extension of that mission. You know, when Christ, that Christ has given us to, to be um, just, as, just as Christ did, to call into being the reality of thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. To begin to live as if it were actually true that he was Lord. And to begin to actually think about how do we structure our community? How do we structure and organize our institutions in order to reflect this dream, to reflect this reality? 
you know, what would it actually mean if we actually took it seriously to believe that Christ ruled our lives, that Christ ruled the world, you know? What would that look like? What would a world that was the way it was meant to be, you know, what would that look like? What would it look like to dream with God about what that world could look like? Um, and, and I think that is a really exciting proposition for us to be exploring. Um, yeah. And, and I think, think, you know, when I, yeah. Yeah, where do you think that goes, though? Um, I mean, it's easy to <clears throat> it's easy to dream or think things could be differently, um, and I know that you you're doing some of that hard work and trying to change you know, trying to change lives and, and offer a different way to some people who uh, who have it hard. But um, it must be really challenging, I'm sure, for you to run into like snags. So like when the when the church, when or where the church fails, and maybe maybe we're not failing. Maybe just doing it is the is the thing. But for us, if um, I don't know, I don't know. Do you feel like you ever fail the young people that um, that need you, or or God has called you into a situation? Uh, do you ever feel like you that you fall short, that you fail? And if that's the case, then you know. Um, what is yeah? What is the uh, what is the point? What is the point of this of being part of the church if all we do is mm. not reach what we're supposed to do? I don't know. Mm. Yeah, it seems hard. Maybe yeah. that's why so many people just tend to stay in the same status quo of a church Sunday, you know, because that works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what's it work for? Is the question, and who does it work for? Mm. And. Um, I guess, you know, I mean, failure is a reality of life. We all fail. We're all going to fail. It's not about being perfect. I, I do think maybe, you know, and it all again comes down to the story that you're telling about faith and the, and the story that you're living out of. In some ways of telling that story, Sunday morning's the way you do it, you know, because it's about coming together, bringing people to service, saving souls. Um, however, if you're thinking about it in a different way, then there is a way of living church and being church that does mean that we need to be willing to experiment, to try different things, to mm. to maybe do things that are a bit uncomfortable and they're not always going to work, you know? And I don't think there's one way to do that. Like I said, one of the ways that we're trying to do that is, you know, there's a few of us that from our faith community decided to all move into one house and we're like, cool, we're going to figure out how do we love each other and, you know, live out this faith together every day. Mm. Um, and how do we then create space for those who we believe, um, you know, Christ is with, um, to, to love and care and serve them. Um, and that's like challenging and it's hard and it's super messy and um, it's not always easy, you know. In some ways, going to church on a Sunday morning is, is uh, you know, it's, it's easy in some ways and you turn up and then you go home and you don't have to see anyone ever again. If you've got different <laughs> theological opinions, then, well, you know, we'll just listen to the pastor and leave it at that, you know. But right. um, when you're engaging in, in the messiness of community, in reality, it's like, hey, well, okay, maybe there's difference here, maybe there's diversity, but we're going to love each other anyway, and we're going to yeah. continue this journey together. I think there's a lot of beauty in that, um, and, and choosing to belong to one another, even when it's really hard, even when we mess up. Um, not easy, but but important. Mm. It's really good, man. You uh, you mentioned a couple of times, you know, God is in the gutter for you. Um, mm. Are you familiar with uh, the piece of art called Piss Christ? 
No, no, no. I have to look that uh, up. I thought you would be. Um, I can't remember who did it. Look it up. Look it up, and you are listening. Look it up as well. Um, piss Christ. It's it's a it's a it's a it's a Jesus on a crucifix inside of a jar uh, filled with urine. Wow. And um, and it caused a whole lot of controversy when it came out because there's a whole lot of mm. whole lot of certain Christians that were saying this is blasphemy. This how could you you know how could you taint Jesus with this filth and but the artist's point of view is uh simply that you know is it tainting christ with filth or is christ cleansing the filth is christ come into the into the you know the piss of the world Mm -hmm. you know um and so it's really sort of powerful just provocative piece of uh of art um, to think, you know, yeah, God, God came into this, um, and God is in the midst of all this crap. Um, yeah. Instead of and instead of it, it it doesn't alter God, but God has mm. the power to alter it. Yeah, yeah. And and, I, and the way I think of that, you know, I often talk about embracing the messiness, right? You know, especially when I'm talking to you, because like our role is to embrace the messiness of our young people's lives, to stand so close to them in solidarity with them that they're muck of their reality gets right on our shoes, right? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what Christ done for us, you know? Yeah. Jesus came right into our reality, embraced the messiness of our human existence and got all of our muck right on him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yet when we do that, when we do that, there's, there's, there's power because just as Christ loved us through all of that, embracing us in the hardest points and the weakest and the most ugliness of our humanity, you know, there's transformation, there's healing, there's love. Um, and I think that that is the overwhelming power of love that, mm. you know, when we embrace each other in, in those harder spaces, that love conquers all. And, and that's what we see on the cross, you know, mm. hate and all the world could throw at him, tried to kill him on the cross. But again, mm. love rises to the top, you know, love rises again. And, yeah. you know. So if you're going to put it in a nutshell for me, um, the purpose of the church is? Yeah, yeah, in a nutshell. I think from what I said at the beginning, I believe the, the purpose of the church is to be the alternative community living in the heart of the empire. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Thanks, man. I think, well, that sounds like a good place to start. Um, and lots to chew on, think about, and I uh, really appreciate your insights um, with all of us today. What's, um, what's next for you? Have you got any projects or anything going on that you want to promote? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, um, you know, always, always working. So, you know, I, I do a lot around sort of ending youth homelessness and trying to work on sort of projects around that. A part of a collective Kumanakarangatahi where we're actively trying to create some sort of systemic change around that. Um, but also, right, um, I, I run a, a blog and a platform uh, called When Lambs Are Silent and podcasts. So, yeah, if you're interested in following that, you can find us on Substack or find me on Facebook or Instagram, AJ Hendry. Um, yeah. I meant to ask you at the start, actually. Do you do you prefer AJ or Aaron or matter? Uh, yeah, no, n- neither matters. You know, I, it's, it's kind of a bit funny when I first started um, writing uh, and you know publicly writing. I thought, oh, my writing name will be AJ Hendry, and so I put that in. Um, it's my name and none of the publishers picked it up and they all published me as Aaron. So it's like that's fine. You know, <laughs> most people call me Aaron. You know, some of my mates call me AJ. Right. It's fine. Cool. So um, when lambs are silent. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you can find that. I think it's wlas.substack. Uh, you can find that. Um, or yeah, you can find it through my Facebook and Instagram page as well. Cool. Great. Um, so we um, we have uh, a Facebook um, community for the Honest Theology Podcast. Um, and hopefully people, um, can, where it's a place where people can post comments or questions off of the episode or anything in general. Um, if, uh, if people are posting or they want to ask, maybe they want to follow up with something with you, um, would you be happy for that? How, how can, how can someone reach out to you directly? Would they do it through, through your Facebook? Um, yeah. Yeah. Writer? My, my Facebook page. Yeah. Um, a, yeah. AJ Hendry, um, or my Instagram page is the same. Should yeah. be able to find me there. Yeah. Cool, man. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming on the show again. It's been really, really cool uh, chatting with you and getting to know you a little bit more. And, um, yeah, so if, if you do have any questions or thoughts about what Aaron and I have discussed today, um, you can do that in a safe space on our Facebook group page, facebook.com slash The Honest Theology Podcast. Um, and I hope you will engage. Uh, we can keep the conversation going there. Um, yeah. So thanks again, Aaron. Uh, thank you for and, uh, for coming on. Thank you for listening along. And uh, do join our community on Facebook. Share thoughts and ideas. And uh, I hope you'll join me next time on the Honest Theology Podcast. Peace be with you.